Good evening and welcome to the Things Can Only Get Banter podcast. Michael, that intro music sure was awesome, wasn't it? Just like it was last episode. Completely, Alex. That intro music was done with love from my good friend Toby Longhurst. Check him out on YouTube and on Spotify uh, when you get a chance. He's the Hurst that you long for. Okay, welcome to episode two of Things Can Only Get Banter. And once again, well, you could be listening in the morning, in the afternoon, late at night, but we're going with good evening because we are once again recording at evening. Or possibly while you're on the toilet. Great time to listen and to a podcast. So, as we established last week, Things Only Get Banter is a podcast seeking to educate you, the listener, about local elections in the UK, which are coming up on the 5th of May, and with a particular focus on Michael's run to be the Supreme Chancellor of Merton, or rather to be a councillor in the Cricket Green Ward in Merton in London. So, Michael, how are things going on the campaign trail? Well, Alex, I would say they're going well. Well, there <laughs> you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Things are going well. See you next week. <laughs> um... No, things have been going well in Cricket Green. Um, so are you saying things can or things have got better? I'd like to think so. Um, campaigning is always a slog when it's cold and always far more enjoyable, as enjoyable as campaigning can be, um, in the summer months when things get hotter, um, the days get longer. That's why the 2019 general election sucks so much, because it was in the middle of December. And possibly why my favourite election to have campaigned in so far was the 2017 general election, which took place in June. June is the optimal time to have an election. I mean, in this country, we usually have them in May when we're not having snap elections. But it's just far, far better to campaign when it's the daylight is out. People don't mind you knocking on their doorsteps when the sun is still up. Um, but in general, uh, things in Cricket Green have been going very, very well. Um, well, we yes, I mean, as, 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 as Napoleon learned at the Battle of Borodino in 1812, um, campaigning in the winter does indeed suck. Um, but, uh, at least and you, you get nasty the... interference from Russians. You get nasty interference from the Russians. Well... How have things been on the doorstep, Michael, and how's the reaction to your campaign been? Because obviously you campaigned back in um, the way back and beyond times of 2017, when uh, Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, and you campaigned in 2019, also when uh, Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, and you are campaigning now. So how are you finding the difference between the reactions to Corbyn as leader to uh, Keir Starmer as leader? Well, as I mentioned previously, my first real campaign experience um, for a general election and for an election of any kind really was the 2017 general election. And I still regard that as the high point of my campaigning thus far in my since I joined the Labour Party. 2017, like I said, we had long sunny days. People on the doorstep were friendly. Jeremy Corbyn was more of an unknown quantity then. Um, 
but he was definitely popular with young people at the time. Um, and even people who didn't particularly like Jeremy Corbyn, their attitude on the doorstep was, well, Labour are going to lose, so I can vote for Labour knowing that there's no chance I can put Corbyn in Downing Street. So you had this combination of voters who absolutely loved Corbyn and those who didn't like him but were willing to vote Labour anyway because they thought that Theresa May was a shoe in to win. Plus, Theresa May's many gaffes on the 2017 campaign, um, from the Maybot dancing to wheat fields, the, the long sunny days. All classics. <laughs> Quite. Um, 2017 was a great election to campaign in. And the reactions I got on the doorstep in that election, despite the opinion polls saying it was going to be a Tory landslide, I had a hunch it was going to be a bit better for Labour than that. Though even I didn't expect a hung parliament. Contrast this with 2019, when the prediction was a Tory landslide and the reaction I was getting on the doorstep was, it's going to be a Tory landslide. Um like I said, there were voters who held their nose and voted for us in 2017, despite the fact they didn't like Jeremy Corbyn because they thought Theresa May was a shoo-in to win. And then when she lost, the reality that Jeremy Corbyn might actually be prime minister set in. And a lot of people who voted for us in 2017 did not vote for us in 2019. Um, a large amount of them stayed at home. Very few actually switched to other parties. The, the vast the main reason Labour's vote went down in 2019 is a huge proportion of our own voters just stayed at home and did not vote. Um, but yeah, difference between campaigning in the summer and campaigning in the mid-bleak winter is vast. Um, and yeah, both times I campaigned in seats that Labour gained. In 2017, I campaigned in Croydon Central for Sarah Jones, which we flipped from a 150 vote Tory majority in 2015 to a 5,000-vote Labour majority in 2017, which was huge and a brilliant result. And in 2019, I campaigned in the only seat that Labour gained in the entire election, which was uh, Putney, where I went to university, where Floor Anderson managed to flip a 1,000-strong Tory majority to a 4,000-strong um, Labour majority. And so how maybe much I'm a good luck take for that personally. Uh, I, I'll, I'll claim um, I'll claim a measly twenty percent. You know, fair enough. I think that that that's modest, but also recognizing your solid achievement there. I'm already picking out my next marginal seat for 2024. Well, I think I think you need to kind of really work your magic and and try and try and switch somewhere in rural Oxfordshire. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe I should go to a to a true blue seat and see if I can still work my magic. But um, with regards to Cricket Green, um, the reaction we've been getting on the doorstep is very positive. Um, Cricket Green was created as a ward in 2002 and it has returned Labour councillors in every local election since 2002. So while I'm not taking anything for granted... I would be very surprised if Labour were to lose Cricket Green in this election. So, question for you, Michael. Obviously, Cricket Green is quite close to uh, several Lib Dem strongholds in that area of London. Why do you think the Lib Dems have very little hold in your particular area? 
No, it's a good question. Um, the Lib Dems are very strong in the southwest of London. If you look at places like uh, Kingston, uh, Twickenham, Wimbledon. Yes, uh, Wimbledon. Um, Wimbledon's an interesting case. Um, it's largely a Tory constituency, though it has gone Labour a couple of times, namely in the 1945 and 1997 landslides. It's been Tory since 2005. But I, I would say, though, it's solidly Remain voting Tory. Completely. That is what I was about to, to come to. It is a very liberal conservative seat. And perhaps that's why in 2019 it became the closest Tory Lib Dem marginal in the country as the Lib Dems came from third place to within 600... In 2017, they were third place. And then in 2019, they came within 600 votes of taking Wimbledon. And perhaps that's why they've chosen to launch their local election campaign in the Wimbledon side of the borough of Merton. And have you got any information, insider or otherwise, how they're doing in your area? So... The borough of Merton is split into two parliamentary constituencies. The Mitchum and Morden constituency held by Siobhan McDonough since 1997 um, is where Cricket Green is, is a reasonably safe Labour seat. Um, whereas, as I just said, the Wimbledon constituency, the other half of the borough of Merton, is at the moment a Conservative Liberal Democrat marginal with only 600 votes between the Lib Dems and the Tories. And it is the Lib Dems' top target seat in the entire country, which is why they are throwing the kitchen sink at winning councillors in Wimbledon this election. Because they believe if they can get local councillors elected on the ground in Merton, that gives them a good basis um, to win the constituency of Wimbledon in the next general election. Uh, from what I've been hearing... Obviously, my focus has mainly been on the Mitch Morden side, but from what I've been hearing, sure. um, the Liberal Democrats are doing quite well in the Wimbledon side. They seem to be flooding that part of the borough with activists. Uh, the Tories are really scared about the Lib Dems taking some of their safe wards in Wimbledon. And it's created a bit of a problem for Labour as well in that we, we hold... We hold a few seats in the South Wimbledon, which is in the South Wimbledon area, which is close to um, closer to the Mitchum and Morden side. Um, and it looks like those are going to turn into freeway marginals between the Tories, the Lib Dems and Labour, uh, which just creates for a, a possibility of quite an unexpected result on election night. We could end up with a ward which has one Labour councillor, one Lib Dem councillor and one Tory councillor. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on the Wimbledon side of the borough. So to, to kind of ask it in a more direct way, um, would you say Labour are better placed than they were in 2019? Would you say Keir Starmer is taking votes that the Lib Dems would otherwise have taken is picking up votes that the Lib Dems would otherwise have picked up um, at the 2019 general election when Jeremy Corbyn was in power or in office. It's 
It's a difficult question. Um, the reception I'm getting on the doorstep, you know, differs. Um, there were there were some people, admittedly a marginal amount, who did really like Jeremy Corbyn, but um, to the majority of voters, he he was not well loved, <laughs> which goes to show why we got the result we did in 2019. Um, for the most part, I would say Labour is in a much better position now under Keir Starmer. Um, and were it not for the fact that the Lib Dems were pushing so hard in Wimbledon at this election, I would possibly say that Labour could expect possibly even a better result in Merton than in 2018. But the the unexpected nature of this freeway split in, in the South Wimbledon area between the Lib Dems, the Tories and Labour is going to... It just creates a real unknown... Um, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens there. What's also interesting, Merton, at the, as of 2018, we had 60 councillors elected across the borough. Now, that amount is being reduced to 57 councillors. So it's going to be interesting to see where those three councillors, uh, where they would be lost, because I think they would be lost on the, the Wimbledon side of the borough, which could, makes it even closer there in the more marginal wards. Now, to hold to get a majority on the council, Labour would need twenty nine seats at this local election in Merton. Um, we currently hold thirty four, uh, but of course, boundary changes mean we're probably going to lose a seat or two. Um, now, if Labour can win every single seat in the Mitcham and Morden side of the borough then we would have 30 seats and we would have a majority on the council, regardless of the Wimbledon side of the borough. Um, but if we can win a few in the South in South Wimbledon, where we've historically done quite well, um, then we should hold a healthy majority on the council. Interesting. So I'm going to ask you the question that I shall ask every week. Uh, how confident are you feeling? Are, are the Lib Dems going to make things a little more tighter for you, or are you still confident that you will be elected? So Cricket Green, as I said, uh, since it was created as a ward in 2002, has always returned uh, Labour councillors uh, with varying degrees of majority. I mean, I think our our worst result in Cricket Green was in 2006, in the, the sort of last days of the Tony Blair administration um and sort of the the backlash from iraq and things hit hit us in the borough merton and that was the last time the tories actually won the council uh, was 2006 but we still held cricket green um with a smaller majority but and our high point was 2014 under ed Miliband where we won the uh we won the ward of cricket green with 70 percent of the vote at the at the last local elections in 2018, I believe the Labour councillors in 2018 in Cricket Green held the ward with 60% of the vote. Um, so with the reception I've been getting on the doorstep there, we have a lot of love for our MP, Siobhan McDonough. She has done brilliant work locally. 
and people on the doorstep love her and therefore they're willing to put their trust in us um, to represent them. Uh, there's also a huge backlash against Boris Johnson and Partygate. Uh, even when I when I ask people who they're going to vote for on the doorstep, if they don't say Labour, often they just say definitely not the Tories, <laughs> which I can usually say is fairly safely probably going to be a Labour vote. Um, the As I said, the Wimbledon side of the borough makes it far more interesting. The fact that the Lib Dems uh, launched their campaign in Wimbledon um, shows that they are throwing the kitchen sink at it. They want more local councillors in Wimbledon uh, to put them in good stead to win the constituency in the general election. And they the aim of the Lib Dems is to overtake the Tories and become the main opposition on Merton Council. I think on a good night for the Lib Dems, they could do it, but only marginally. Um, but it creates it creates a real unknown for Labour because usually in Merton, we can be assured of picking up at least a couple of seats in South Wimbledon. But with the freeway split this time between the Lib Dems, the Tories and us, I, I just know we have to win every single seat in Mitchum and Morden to be assured of a majority with the big question mark that that is creating. Well, Michael, all I can say is good luck. And uh, we look forward to your update. Thank you very much. Next week. Cool. Now, um, just moving on to more national election issues. Um, so, Wandsworth and Barnet. What is going on there? Well, we're, we're, mo- are... we're moving to a slightly different area of London, ladies and gentlemen, bursting out of that bubble. No, it is a. Uh, those are going to be very interesting. Um, historically, those boroughs have not been kind to Labour, and they have been uh, very safe for the Tories. Um, but. As demographic changes have taken place, as more young people have moved into those areas, they are trending ever so slightly towards the Labour Party. Um, If we look at London as a whole, um, there are 30... There are 32 boroughs in London, I believe. Uh, 21 are Labour. Seven are Conservative. Three are Liberal Democrat. And one is no overall control. Uh, That's havering, I believe, though the Tories are a minority administration there. So the Tories only hold seven boroughs in London. There's not much further for them to fall in London. But since Partygate, the Tories are claiming they're quite worried about four of the seven boroughs they currently hold. They claim to be worried about Wandsworth, Barnet, Westminster and Hillingdon, uh, Hillingdon being the the borough that Boris Johnson's own Uxbridge constituency is in. Uh, so it would yes. be would also be home to the uh, UK. Oh no, the European naval headquarters of NATO. So Ooh, one of the first places, one of the first places that will get destroyed in the event of a nuclear attack. So at least Boris Johnson will go first. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I can endorse those comments. Uh, so, yeah, the Tories have really been talking themselves down. It's 
it's something that both major parties do. They don't want to big up expectations. They want to play down expectations. Both Labour and the Conservatives are guilty of doing this. Um, the Conservatives are predicting a Labour landslide in these local elections so that on election day, anything other than a Labour landslide looks like a bad result for Labour. Labour are forecasting very small gains so that if it ends up being more moderate gains, they can report that as a big success. Both major parties will be playing down expectations. Uh, in London, I would be I would be very, very surprised if Hillingdon or Westminster went to Labour, uh, even though that's what the Tories are claiming. Um, which means I think the two boroughs in London, which realistically on a good night for Labour could go Labour, are Barnet and Wandsworth. Now, Barnet is where London Labour launched their local election campaign. Um, that Labour are feeling pretty confident in Barnet, though not complacent. In 2018, Barnet was one of our top targets, but we actually lost seats in the borough, um, largely due to issues of anti-Semitism. Barnet, as a borough, I believe, has the largest Jewish population in the United Kingdom. And on the doorstep, Jeremy Corbyn was just complete anathema to the Jewish community, largely due to the anti-Semitism scandal that was taking place in Labour at the time. Now, Keir Starmer, one of the things that he has done very successfully is clean up anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and make the Labour Party a safe place for the Jewish community again. Um, now, at least 10 of our candidates in Barnet are Jewish, including including a rabbi, um, and we've been endorsed by, I believe, the rabbi for Barnet. Um, so, you know, I I do think the main reason we we lost in Barnet last time was anti-Semitism. So, whether the voters in Barnet reward Keir Starmer's efforts to clean up anti-Semitism in the Labour Party by by delivering a Labour victory on election day will be very interesting. And I think Barnet is I the one I... Just to, just to stop you there, Michael, for the sake of balance, I am going to add that uh, Jeremy Corbyn does um, categorically deny that he did make the uh, Labour Party an unsafe place for Jewish people. So, and fostered no, cultural anti-Semitism. So I think, I think we should just put, um, let that, uh, let that flop no. out there. I'm not. I'm not going to get into an argument about Jeremy Corbyn and anti-Semitism. I'm just saying the perception of anti-Semitism. Probably a very wise, wise thing to do. <laughs> the perception but... of Jeremy Corbyn and anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was the main reason we lost. Um, we did not win Barnet in 2018, and the main reason sure. that I think it could be a gain for us on election night. Um, the other borough you talk about, Wandsworth. Um, is one I campaigned in in 2018, where we actually flipped a Tory ward to Labour, but it was not enough. It was very close on election night, um, but the Tories held the borough of Wandsworth with 33 seats to Labour's 26, which was Labour's best result in the borough since 1987. Now, Wandsworth is known as Margaret Thatcher's favourite council, it piloted Thatcherite ideas um, and it has returned a Tory majority at its council elections in every year since 1978, largely due to a council tax arrangement that it has with 
the government. Um, the Borough of Wandsworth receives special funding from the national government, which allows it to keep its council tax levels so low. Now, the Tories at election time always make a big deal of uh, if you vote Labour, council tax will go up. Wandsworth has one of the lowest council tax rates in the country. Um, but I believe this is disingenuous because the reason that Wandsworth has low council tax is because of its deal with the national government, not because of the Tory administration in Wandsworth. But I digress. What, what, what are the historical reasons, if you can summarise them very briefly, that Wandsworth has this um, sort of sweetheart deal? I don't know the ins and outs of it. I know it took place under the major administration in 1994, I believe, was when this deal happened. And it allowed for very low council tax in the boroughs of Westminster and Wandsworth um, in return for extra funding from the national government. Uh, it was never repealed under the Blair or Brown administrations. And... Um, Quite frankly, it's something that the Tories use at every local election in the boroughs of Wandsworth and Westminster. You vote in Labour, your council tax will go up. It's quite disingenuous, but it's a ploy that often works. Uh, if you look at Wandsworth Conservative leaflets in this election, they don't even say vote Conservative. They just say Labour will raise your council tax. Their leaflet does not focus on the Conservatives at all. It just says Labour will raise your council tax. So their entire focus is this one issue, which has historically kept the borough in their hands. But all three parliamentary constituencies in the borough of Wandsworth are now Labour. In every ward in Wandsworth at the last mayoral election, Sadiq Khan won the majority of votes. The borough is getting younger and trending more and more towards Labour. Could this be the year that Wandsworth, after 44 years of Tory rule, finally flips Labour? Could Boris Johnson's party gate finally push over? That's the question on the night. I've spoken to Labour representatives in Wandsworth, and they are holding their breath, crossing their fingers. They say the reception they're getting on the doorstep is good, but... The reception they got in the doorstep on 2018 was good and it wasn't enough. I can speak from experience because I was on the doorstep in Wandsworth in 2018. The reception we got was good, but it wasn't enough. If we win Wandsworth, um, I think my heart would flutter with joy because that was where I went to university. Um, I would love to see Margaret Thatcher's favourite council go red. I'm not convinced, but it's a good target. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Wandsworth is definitely the one to watch on the night if you are one In of London. those sad people. In London, if you're one of those sad people who will be staying up to uh, watch it. Well, I'm going to be Which there. Which we are. With... <laughs> yes, yes, we are. So, um, just sweeping through the rest of the UK in general. So, uh, next week... Uh, I haven't told Michael about this, but next week we're going to be recording a little bonus episode. We have our Northern Ireland edition. I look forward to it. Which I promise to limit to 25 minutes. We said 20, but I'll, give, I'll, give you 20, I'll give you 25, Alex. Tw 25 minutes. And, Episode uh, 2.5. Yeah, 
so 25 minutes, and we can probably just about get up to the plantation of Ulster, um, if I'm speedy by that point. So, so do we uh, want to breeze through the rest of the country? Uh, yes. So Northern Ireland's got its own special episode. We had a, a fairly good um, sort of jaunt through Scotland last week. But um, just looking at... Uh, well, we also had a, a look in Wales and how it's looking like a very strong that, possibility I, that uh, Plaid, Plaid Cymru are going to perform very poorly against Labour. Um, King Drakeford is polling very, very well. I think we can summarise uh, Scotland and Wales again very quickly. Uh, Scotland use a different voting system to the rest of the UK. They use, uh, in local council elections, they use uh, STV, I believe which means that their their council elections are some form of ranked voting. And that often means that very few councils in Scotland actually end up with one party winning a majority. Most of those councils are no overall control and multiple parties end up having to do deals with each other to form governing administrations in Scottish councils. Um, but as Alex says... Uh, Wales is where I'm expecting a lot of the Labour gains to come from in terms of councils. Uh, 2017, the last time local elections were held in Wales, was a few weeks before the the 2017 general election and Labour did shockingly bad in Wales um, a few weeks out from the general election. Uh, we lost quite a lot of councils, but as we said before, Mark Drakeford and Welsh Labour are polling very high, so I'm expecting the bulk of Labour's council gains that night to come from Wales. Yeah, so that, that's what happens, uh, Boris, if you're a national leader who doesn't spend lockdown uh, having illegal parties. People like nope. you. Instead, just reading up about cheese. All hail Drakeford. All hail Drakeford. Okay, and... Also, the other thing we should um, point out about Wales and Scotland is the voting age difference. So you can vote if you're 16 in the yeah upcoming elections. Uh, I'd quite like to see that happen in England, but at the moment, Wales and Scotland. <laughs> well, uh, good luck hoping there, Michael. Yeah, no Tory administration's lowering the voting age. <laughs> They're not letting more Labour voters come to vote. Uh so I guess the final part of uh, the UK local elections we haven't covered is the rest of England, um, largely the Red Wall. The Red Wall. Oh, it sounds very Game of Thrones-ish, doesn't it? Yes, hopefully, though, with not a similarly disappointing ending. Let's hope not. So the Red Wall... The Red Wall was a term that first started to be used in the 2017 general election. And it, to sum it up, it is a wall of constituencies across the north of England, which historically have always voted Labour, but also largely voted for Brexit. And it started to be referred to as the Red Wall. Could the Tories use Brexit to take the the red wall and turn it blue. Theresa May tried it in 2017 and failed. Boris Johnson tried it in 2019 and largely succeeded. 
a big chunk of that red wall turned blue. Seats that had not been anything other than Labour for 100 years went Tory for the first time. And these are places where mining strikes happened, where Margaret Thatcher is detested, but they finally flipped Conservative over Brexit. Now, most people think that the next general election will be fought in these seats. Will these seats stick with their decision to flip to the Tories? Or was it a once in a generation thing? And now that Brexit is done, will they return to Labour? And both parties, Labour and the Conservatives, really want to win the Red Wall in these local elections. Any sign of gains for Labour in the Red Wall will be seen as a relief for Keir Starmer, uh, a recovery for Labour in the North and good signs for the next general election. When Keir Starmer stood for the leadership of the Labour Party, he said, I am the man to ridden back the Red Wall. He now has to prove that. Whereas Boris Johnson... Uh, he's going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen, I believe. Oh, yes. Well, the exact Damn words right. he didn't use but there has actually been a um slight well slight ripple in the red wall because obviously um back um at the beginning of this year we had the defection of christian wakeford in bury in bury south so uh he um defected from the conservatives to labor and so far, I think polling in his constituency has um, shown that it was not a completely disastrous decision for him. No, nominal polling in Bury suggests that he would hold that seat as a Labour MP now with a small majority of a couple of thousand, I expect. And Labour actually launched their local campaign local election campaign in Bury, which shows that they are very serious about trying to take back the Red Wall. Um, but yes, uh, it, is, it is where, with some regards, other parts of the country are probably going to be, although it would be great if Labour win places like Wandsworth and Barnet, where Labour really want to be winning is is the North, is the Red Wall. They want to see that there are signs of recovery there because the Red Wall now has the most marginal seats in the country. If Labour can win councils there, win back seats there, they are in good stead for the next general election. While if the Tories can hold the seats there, hold councils there, they might just pull off an historic fifth-term election victory. And on that terrifying bombshell, I think that is a good place to end the episode. Our upcoming council elections, I think, it's often said that council elections are a barometer to show which way the wind is blowing for the next election. I think it is doubly so for the May elections this year. So we look forward to uh, more updates in the next couple of weeks before the elections. So as we mentioned, um, this episode should be coming out towards the end of the week beginning the 18th and we'll also have a little bonus episode in between uh this episode and the following episode which will focus entirely 
on Northern Irish politics in great and exciting detail. Isn't that right, Michael? Send help. Alex has got a gun to my head. We will be going all the way back to the crowning of King Edward Bruce in the year 1317. And anyway, all the way up to Mary Lou McDonnell. <laughs> yes, the reincarnation of uh, King Edward Bruce. And on that bombshell, we shall then end uh, the episode. So, I've been Alex. I've been Michael. And remember, things can, can only get... Only... Oh, let's do that again. Things can only get... Banter! Banter!